0: Colin. And I'm Megan. And this is Pet Pet Sitter Sitter Confessional,
1: Confessional. an open and honest discussion about life as a pet sitter.
0: Brought to you by Time to Pet. What's it like being a full-time, 100% travel, nomadic, house-sitting, and pet care provider in New York City in the time of COVID? Jen Soaring joins us today to discuss that and so much more. From advice that she gives to people who are just starting out to advice we all need to hear about managing our prices and setting them accordingly. I'm so thankful that Jen came on and was able to discuss these and all of the topics in today's show. Enjoy.
1: Hi, uh, my name is Jen Cern, and I am a dog walker and pet sitter in New York City. I've been nomadic since 2016, which basically means I don't pay rent because I move from house
0: to house fit. How did you get started in this, this racket?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I started pet sitting in 2012 when I lived in Seattle. Uh, I was working at a, as a medical examiner at the time, but the job didn't cover my cost of living. So uh, there was this new app out called Rover. They were a st- Seattle startup. And I just signed up to try to make a little extra money on the side. Um, I had always had dogs of my own, and I worked with Rescue for a number of years. So the concept of having a strange dog in my home was was pretty familiar to me already. Only now I would be paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'd been pet sitting for maybe about eight months when my the contract with my day job ended. So then after that, I just decided to stay in Seattle and see if I could pay the bills doing pet care full time. And uh Eight years later, I haven't gone back to medicine. Oh
0: gosh! So you started in Seattle. When did you make that shift over to New York City, where you currently are?
1: Uh, I was in Seattle doing pet sitting for about three and a half years, and then um, I was just getting really, really busy. And I just decided that pet care is something that I can do anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I started to think about what I wanted to do next, looking into options. I had started really getting into boutique fitness by that time. So um, I interviewed for an unpaid internship in New York City at a fitness studio. And they accepted me. So, But they also asked me how I was going to pay my bills when I lived here because the internship was unpaid. So I just said, yeah, well, I'm just going to house it in New York and not pay rent. Ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) And then (laughs) that's what I ended up doing. And (laughs) five years later, I'm still doing Uh, it.
0: (laughs) So, as as you mentioned, you are 100% travel, nomadic, house and pet sitting. What was it that triggered that mindset for you? And how do you make that work on a daily basis?
1: Uh, When I started doing pet care in Rover, I basically did everything. So, it was mostly boarding in my one bedroom apartment, (laughs) LOL. But um, I was also doing house sitting and then some cats and things like that. So I had exposure to all of those things. And I also realized that people travel a lot, especially if you're in a major city, someone is always traveling for business or for the holidays, or just to go away for the weekends, ski trips, things like that. There are so many people in a major city that they're always traveling. Mm. So I kind of knew that the demand was out there. Uh, It was just a matter of building my reputation in a new city. And it was nice because I already had about 300 reviews when I moved to New York. So when I parked my profile in New York, people could already see that I was highly reviewed. Mm. And that helped to start my business.
0: Yeah, those reviews really do go A lot of people may, I don't know, some people may discount the importance of those, but seeing someone with a lot of reviews or some really good five stars really does help rank you towards the top of people's lists, consciously or unconsciously on their part.
1: Yeah, and it really does. And Rover isn't the only uh, app or website you can use for house-sitting. There are also some international house-sitting websites out Mm. there. And a lot of the people who house-sit full-time, they will do it. Internationally but they'll also do it unpaid so there's a little bit of a difference between doing it locally in your area and being paid for it and then doing it in Spain for three months and then France for ten weeks nice. and then uh, you know and then California for six weeks so it's a little bit of a different structure the people that move around a lot they generally do it for volunteer because you can't Get paid in a foreign country. It's illegal unless you have a work visa. Mm. So there's different ways to do it, and maybe you get paid, maybe you don't. And then if someone is thinking of going nomadic full time, you just have to realize that there are a lot of different ways to do it, and then they differ a little bit.
0: So you're set up in New York for local paid house sitting. How do what does that look like in New York, and how are you structured?
1: The nice thing about Rover is that If I have a house sit booked for two weeks, then I won't show up on the availability calendar for that two weeks. So if someone is looking for a house sit, say I'm booked until Monday, then someone who's looking for a house sitter wouldn't be able to find me unless their stay starts from Monday or later. So I think that's really helpful in terms of fitting these house sits together. Um, And then also by now I have enough regulars that if I have an overlapping booking, then they may trust me just to do drop-in visits for a night or two, or or maybe they'll say, yeah, it's okay if you bring another dog over here. I, I trust you with that. So that's really nice to be able to have some kind of continuity of care.
0: So what what do you do if uh, those don't line up exactly? What's plan B in in the life of a nomadic pet sitter?
1: Uh, plan B is called apps like Hotwire and Hotel Tonight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the interesting thing for me that I learned when I started doing this is that generally when people are traveling, I'm going to be booked. So during... Christmas, holidays, um, things like that are going to be times where people are out of town and I will definitely be booked for a house sit. When During the non-peak travel times, hotel rooms are actually pretty affordable in the city, especially if I book something last minute. Uh, I can get a hotel room for as low as $49. I generally don't have to pay more than $100 In New York City, which is crazy and amazing, um, just because the demand is low. So I generally try to have a budget of about a thousand dollars for hotel stays per month, uh, and then as long as I stay below that, then then it's good. I recently found a boyfriend, so I don't have to worry about the hotel thing anymore. (laughs) At least not for now. (laughs) Plan
0: C, boyfriend. Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) <laughs> That's convenient.
0: <There> <laughs> uh, so, in the world of COVID nineteen, how has that impacted the way you operate? And you just described some of the precautions and some of the measures and plans that you have in place. What's it been like in New York City being a uh, a nomadic pet sitter? in the times of COVID-19?
1: Yeah. So when COVID happened, um, and when the city went into lockdown, a lot of my clients were starting to work from home, or they ended up leaving the city. Um, So then kind of the daily dog walks went away. And then all of the vacation, weekend travel business ended up canceling. So, So thankfully, I had you know, my boyfriend to fall back on. So I was able to stay here, but I have thought, what if that option didn't exist, then maybe I would have asked, um, I've been watching some pandemic cats. So maybe they would have let me stay there. Maybe I would have left the city also and gone to stay with my parents, things like that. So there were other options that I could have tried to do. Um, Airbnbs are hurting pretty badly even though they're technically illegal in New York City. Anyway, we can scratch that. (laughs) But um, (laughs) never mind. (laughs)
0: Yeah, moving on.
1: But um, (laughs) yeah, okay, let me see here. So basically daily dog walks were canceled and then the nature of the work shifted to watching a couple pandemic cats whose people had not come back to the city. Um, And then also a couple people asked me to water their plants. So that was more of my business. Um, I also expanded my service area a little bit because pre-pandemic, I really tried to keep a tight service area to make it as efficient as possible. And then post-pandemic, I'm willing to go out a little bit further in order to service clients. Uh, And as far as the sanitation procedures go, I generally just follow whatever the different buildings have for protocol. Mm. Most of that is just wearing a mask in the building and then um, limiting elevator rides. So so maybe you only ride with yourself or people in your household or people you know, definitely not more than three or four people in an elevator, but that isn't really a concern because there aren't as many people in and out anymore. So it's pretty. It's pretty easy to keep distance from people.
0: One of the first thoughts that comes to my mind of high rises in New York are hallways. Uh, Has there been much concern or or much uh, thought into how people interact in these tight hallways, especially in, in in places of residence?
1: Actually, pretty rare that I'll see someone else in a hallway, and I feel that if you think about it, six feet is generally A decent amount of space if someone was in my space within three feet of me pre-covid that would have been a little weird unless I'm packed in a subway car so I don't think um, it's that difficult to get space because I also think that with the clientele that I service um, and I would be really curious to get the numbers I've been trying to talk to the doorman like How many of your residents are still home? Not to (laughs) be creepy, um, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. But a lot of people that could afford to leave the city have left the city. Mm. Or for example, one of my um, pandemic cats, they had just had a baby before COVID hit. So I haven't asked specifically, but I imagine that they're just sheltering with family right now and they haven't come back to the city. So because a lot of people left and they're not really going out anymore, then you don't really see many people in the buildings
0: anymore. What's it been like navigating uh public transit uh, these days?
1: Uh I haven't been underground in the subway since we had the lockdown and before COVID, I tried to have my service area Um, I wanted to make that all walkable because I really hate relying on public transit. It's really great when it's working. (laughs) But if it's not and there's something that happens, I don't want to be stuck in an area of town for for 20 minutes. Because in the middle of the day, time is money and I can't be 20 minutes late to a walk. It's going to throw off my entire day. So I haven't been taking the subways. I will hop on a bus every once in a while because they get a little lazy but I feel like with the buses I can easily tell my comfort level so I can see in the windows I can see how many people on there they haven't been packed but if they were packed or if they got to a point where I felt uncomfortable with it then I can just hop off the bus and walk the the rest of the Mm -hmm. way so so that part hasn't been it's been easy for me to navigate. Um, and because I've always taken public transportation, I, even before COVID, I always thought they were dirty places. Right. So so I just, I, I'm the person that kind of stands up. Like I never tried to touch anything anyway. You, subway surfing, which is where you stand there, but you don't touch any of the rails. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you just work on your surfing skills. Nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, yeah. You
0: know, a, a lot of pet sitters dream of having access to such a huge market. I know where Megan and I are, we're in a town of about 20,000 people on a good day. So, but what's been, I'm, I'm curious about what's been maybe some of your biggest hurdles in in getting clients or structuring how you operate?
1: I'm not a good marketing person. I like to have Jobs fall in my lap. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> So uh, so I might be not be a great person to ask about that, but I, I really feel like everyone I meet in New York City, and maybe this is why they come to me, are, is looking for a good dog walker. Mm. There are a few people that say, oh, I just absolutely love this dog walking agency. It's great. So I think that the market for a solid, reliable, dog walker personable trustworthy is there it's just a matter of getting your name out there there are a lot of dog walkers in the city who have been working for a long time that they they don't have business cards they're not on social media they don't have a website because everything is just word of mouth Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other thing about a city that's as dense as new york is that you really want to be in a small service area to make your work as efficient as possible so sometimes when I get referrals they're like oh yeah my friend lives 20 blocks from you and I'm like I don't go to that area because it's too far so so it's really important to just network in the area that you want to work in so talking to doormans or just being around and and walking dogs in your area seeing other people that have that are out with dogs and just chatting them up on occasion. Um, Even uh, networking with other dog walkers, which oftentimes happens when you're (laughs) pre-COVID stuck in an elevator and you're like, oh, I see that carabiner keys. I know you're a dog walker. (laughs) And then you just, (laughs) and then you just kind of start talking shop and you're like, oh, do you work for yourself? Um, I wanna go on vacation in February. Do you think you could cover this dog? They're in the same building, you're here at the same time. So that's um, a way that I've found to network with some people. But I really think that it's just about having a good reputation, getting those referrals. Uh, Rover certainly doesn't hurt. My search radius is, I believe it's a mile. So the inquiries that come to me are generally pretty close to me.
0: Yeah, that, that really helps put it into perspective of your, your search radius is a mile, and just comparing to where we live, relatively rural, like a mile gets you like 12 houses, and that's just That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of an exaggeration. But uh, you know. yeah.
1: I picked up a wag walk since I have the time now, so I've been doing some more walks per wag, and uh, I picked up this dog in, in my service area. And then the instructions were like, oh, drop it off 20 blocks from here. And I just, my eyes rolled so far into the back of my head. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was fine. It was ultimately fine. First world problems. But... (laughs) I'm like, oh, I've got thirty minutes to walk this dog twenty blocks. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah.
0: Better <laughs> better hop to it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> when you first started, did you find it easy to approach those dog walkers that you saw in elevators and start conversations with them? Or has that been something that's developed over time as far as your networking with them goes?
1: It's definitely developed over time. I am very introverted, as are a lot of the dog walkers that work in the city. So sometimes it's just a matter of, oh, this is the fifth time I've been stuck in the elevator with you. I guess I'll try to make conversations. <laughs> <laughs> just because it's so awkward. Yep. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then just the more I've done it, the more then the more it just becomes natural to me. And then I just realize that it's kind of like a like a safe way to start a conversation. Cause who doesn't love dogs? You're like, oh, let me make a comment about Fido or just ask about how business is going or something like that. Just get to know them. If I see you around all the time. I should probably know your right. name.
0: <laughs> well, so. as, you, as you mentioned, like there, we, have, we with other pet care providers have such a foundation of commonality, of love and dedication to excellent care for pets. So what better way to start a conversation of I see you're caring for a dog. That's awesome. I care for dogs too. Like that's an instant connection that's really easy to make.
1: Right, yeah.
0: You mentioned earlier about why certain people or what what some clients are looking for in dog walkers. So how do you keep your clients on a regular basis coming back to you?
1: Uh, I just try to do a good job. And I feel like in this day and age, uh, doing a good job means means being reliable it means being consistent it means showing up when you say you're going to um, and then also being accessible for communication sometimes I hear from other clients that they just don't hear back from their dog walkers they don't know if their dog was walked um so I think that's one of the things that my clients like about me is that I'm pretty responsive with text and messages and then just doing the job that you, I am surprised by the number of dog walkers that don't take Fido out for 30 minutes when they're supposed to take Fido out for 30 minutes. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like it's there are cameras everywhere. Now people have nanny cams, there's building cams. So you can't fake it anymore. Maybe you could fake it in 1983, <laughs> but if you only take a dog out for 10 minutes, people are going to find right. out. So, um, it's just those little things, just being personable. I have a lot of flexibility with my schedule. For example, um, I have enough business that when I'm booked, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit stressful just because I have to stay on schedule and I have to really plan that out. So if someone cancels, then it's not a big deal. So, um, sometimes they'll pay me if it's the the day of and they realize that time is important. But if it's a client that I have more of a casual relationship with, they don't book me every week, like it's no big deal just to reschedule. And I think that some people appreciate that flexibility.
0: Yeah. You you call them the the little things, quote unquote, but just doing your job and being honest and communicating, those sound simple, but they mean so much to clients and they speak to your character as a pet sitter. That if you don't do the job someone told you to do or you signed up and getting paid to do, that's not okay. And once you break that trust and that understanding with a client, it very rarely comes back. And they will just move on to somebody else who will actually get the job done.
1: Yeah. And, it's, and especially nowadays, they're, uh, pet sitters are a dime a dozen. I mean, how many good pet sitters out there? That might be another question. Mm. But people sometimes ask, what do I have to do in order to stand out? What do I have to do to go above and beyond? And my answer, because I'm a minimalist, is you just do your job. And that's going to be enough for someone to come back to you. No. Literally. I mean, you don't. that's really great if you do goodie bags and little handwritten notes and things like that. If that's your style, that's great. And I'm sure people appreciate it. But you don't have to do that in order for people to come back to you.
0: And part of that too is being consistent with them, and that can be really frustrating with somebody trying to grow their business or or um, or to attract more clients. Is I'm doing all of these things. What's why isn't something? Why isn't this working? And part of that equation is well, now you've got to stick with it. Now you have to do this every single job, every single day, and that too works into. Uh, bringing clients back of okay you did it one time are you going to do it the next time you come and the next time and the next time that too brings in uh, uh, repeat clients
1: yes exactly and then there is a little bit of room for learning too no one is going to start the business knowing exactly what they need to do like you said every single time so now I have a checklist for example a mental checklist when I leave a cat visit of like did I do food? Did I do water? Did I do litter? Did I play with the cat? Did I make sure everything is in place the way I found it? Did I lock the door? Did I make sure the, lo- the door is locked? Mm-hmm. You know, all of that evolved over time, just kind of second guessing whether I did it or not. And now I just know to run this mental checklist before I leave. But I do have a story of uh, one of the pandemic cats that I'm watching now. My first day with her, I messed up because. Most people book once a day visit for a cat. So this client wanted a breakfast visit. And then I would program her dinner for the auto feeder. So she asked me to visit before noon. And I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Totally forgot to make a note of it. And then I showed up in the afternoon to feed Fluffy. And then I got there. Once I got there, I realized like, oh, crap I think this was supposed to be a morning visit and I just totally I just totally fessed up to it I refunded her money and I said I'm really sorry this isn't gonna happen again I will see Fluffy tomorrow by noon you have my word um and I'm just gonna refund you for this visit because I messed up and she gave me a second chance and I now I've been watching that dog for sorry that cat for three months wow (laughs) So it was interesting how that job, I initially screwed it up, but I owned up to it, and then she gave me a second chance. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and not being afraid, to be honest, that especially for somebody starting out or even people who've been in it for a long time, that's really scary to admit, I messed up. I didn't do what you told me to do. Part of just doing your job is owning up to when you didn't do your job and being honest about that. And as you you, know, you you took steps to to try and make it right and let the owner know that you recognized it and and you know that 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 meant something. And getting to that point of being able to say I messed up, I'm sorry is not easy for a lot of people.
1: I agree. I think we're in this societal pressure that kind of you want to appear perfect all the time and that's why sometimes when I'm on social media, you know, Everyone's like, oh, just trying to be, I'm this perfect pet sitter. I'm this perfect pet sitter. And I'm like, you know what? I got evicted from my first apartment because I was pet sitting. <laughs> you know? like, these things happen. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not perfect. I learned from it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not perfect.
0: <laughs> That's a good thing to, to remind ourselves on a daily basis of, I don't know everything. I am not perfect. So that when things do happen when mistakes when when screw ups happen, you can give yourself a little bit of grace on that. And and if you are communicating that you are imperfect when those happen, it's not a big deal. It it you know, it is a mistake and you are going to make corrections that it doesn't happen again, but a lot of that mental burden that mistakes and mess ups can make, like if you have this set up in your mind that you are perfect and you don't make mistakes and then you do make one, that can take a long time to recover from, uh, especially if that person leaves a bad review for that one time that you made a mistake.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's really important, like you said, uh, how do you connect with your clients? I let them know that I'm available for feedback. And I think that is really important to be able to do, um, just to be able to learn and grow. And then also Chatting with other pet sitters, how do you do this thing? And then seeing whether that is going to work for my business. Maybe I want to take some of that and incorporate it into my business. But there's always, you only know what you know, which is very right. little most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's nice to just have an open mind and realize that not everyone's going to do the, the things the way you mm-hmm. do. And that's okay because mm-hmm. you don't have to please everyone all the time.
0: Well, speaking of advice for other people, what recommendations would you give to somebody who's looking into getting started in travel sitting full time?
1: I would say that if you're thinking about it, you should just start now. So you should try to create an online presence, maybe sign up for some websites, join some Facebook group in order to do more research into it. Uh, And and that's where you start. So maybe you set up a Facebook page or an Instagram account. And then if you don't have any dog experience, then you want to start asking your friends and family if they will let you watch their animals while they're away. Maybe just take the dog on a walk. Get as much experience as you can but also document it for social media. Cause if it's not on social media, it never happened. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, um, but basically you want to build an online portfolio and then you also want to think about how you're going to market yourself because you're going to need to write a blurb because people don't know who you are because you're just starting out. You're going to need to write a blurb about who you are, why you want to house it, what makes you a good house that maybe you, um, have owned a home before you're handy around the house or you like to garden things like that maybe you just like to travel uh i would stay away from <laughs> phrases like i need money mm. or i'm looking for a free place to stay mm. <laughs> like well those may be the case you just you just want to spin it a little bit differently right. <laughs> but there's so many people that just come out and say i need money can i walk your dog like that's not the best way to go about it. Do <laughs> so you really have to think about how you can be marketable and how you can be a valuable asset to the other person.
0: One of the things to consider when starting out is what you're going to charge. And you're pretty outspoken as far as Raising rates periodically and and not being ashamed to charge what you need to make a living. So, have you always been like that, or how have your thoughts evolved over time?
1: I haven't always been like that. I actually got into pet sitting because I was a poor client. (laughs) So, I understand what it's like to not be able to afford pet care for the animals that I've already adopted. I, you know, I adopted them, they were mine and then life happened and i had to move moving is expensive and i just couldn't support my lifestyle at that mm. moment so i understand what it's like to be a client that has animals i needed to interview i still needed to do some things cross country where i couldn't take my animals but i also didn't have any money so um so when i started pet sitting i wanted to be a more affordable pet sitter also because I already had a day job. So this was just going to be like supplemental income. It's kind of, kind of be partially, um, a, a hybrid between doing a favor for someone and doing it for money. So, um, so that's how I started. And because my rates were low, this was back in 2012, which was a million years ago. Uh, everyone was charging $20, $25 a night. So Rover would actually advertise, you can get a free night of pet care. And the rate was 20, it was a $25 voucher. (laughs) So that was the going rate. And maybe that still is in some areas. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't think it's in downtown Seattle anymore. But um, so I was working 24-hour shifts for... $25. And then what you have to do in that case is you have to take on more bookings in order to kind of group them together to make it worth your time. Um, And then I was so affordable. I did a decent job. So basically I ended up being booked all the time. And also at that point, I didn't know how to say no. I didn't know where my limits were And so I just ended up being overwhelmed with pet sitting and I was working 7, 365. And, um, and it wasn't really until my lifestyle started to change that I had to make these changes. And part of that was decreasing the amount of volume I did. The other part of it was increasing the amount that I would charge. So, um, I think also for daily dog walking and house sitting, it's a little bit different. For example, during daily dog walking, you have a finite, you're really on the clock. You have a finite amount of time, mostly between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m., to walk as much, as many dogs as you can and to walk and to make as much money as you can because that's when the demand is the highest. So I realized once I moved to New York that. I could charge higher rates and people will still book me. Um, And then it no longer became about, for example, what the client needed per se. Um, Then it was about what I need in order to make it worth my time between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. As far as house sitting goes, it's a little bit different because you're working basically over a 24-hour period of time. You might not be working that entire 24 hours and to charge hourly for house sitting would be prohibitive to most people. So I can't charge $20 an hour, 24 hours a day because most people can't pay that. And because there are other sitters who will work for less. So with with house sitting, I just try to set my rate at three drop-in visits per day. I personally don't charge anything for overnights because um, whether it's 10 extra dollars, 20, 30, that doesn't make a huge difference to me. Uh, And then also if I just keep it at three drop-in visits per day, if I have a double booking, then I could just communicate with that client that I'm just going to be walking Fido three times a day, but I'm not going to be staying overnight but the rate's still going to be the
0: same. That's really interesting about the overnight care because that does set up so certain levels of expectations on the client's part as far as what kind of care you're going to be offered. I know when we first started, when we would do overnight care, we'd do we'd go to their home and we would say, however many times you want or need us to come over, we'll do it for 20 bucks a night. And that, right. <laughs> and and that's, that's not scalable uh, by any stretch of the imagine, right. imagination.
2: Yeah. And
0: as soon as people realize, oh, you're coming over, you know, you're charging per night. So how many times do you come over per day? And, you know, we'd say, oh, well, three, four, 12, I don't know. Uh, they'd say, okay, great. 10 times a day. And walk each time. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh no, I really can't, can't, can't do this. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Have you heard about time to pet Claire from Acton critter sitters has this to say time to pet has honestly revolutionized how we do business. My sitters can work much more independently because they have ongoing access to customer and pet information without relying on me. I save hours upon hours of administrative time on billing, processing payments, and generating paychecks. If you are looking for a new pet sitting software for your business, give Time to Pet a try. As a listener of Pet Sitter Confessional, you'll get 50% off your first three months when you sign up at timetopet.com slash confessional. your phrase there of you know needing to decrease the volume of work while increasing what you earn so that you aren't getting burned out so that you can earn what you need to to make it worth your time like that is such a mind shift from i just want to pet animals and be around them all day i'll do it for free if you asked me to that kind of gets into like why it's so hard for us to raise rates. And, and I'm curious, you know, you, you touched on it a little bit there, but but why would you say that it's hard for pet sitters specifically to raise the rates and charge what they need?
1: Uh, like you said, a lot of people, I think, go into pet sitting just because the mentality is, I want to make a little bit of pocket change. And I also love dogs, which is great. That's great. I think a lot of people start there. And then you can, there's nothing wrong with being a hobby sitter and continuing to charge low rates for a finite number of dogs. That's totally great if you can offer, if you have the financial security, if you have the flexibility to offer that business model, that's great. But if you decide that you want to do it as a business, I mean, I love dogs, but I'm doing it for the money. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not going to, Walk your dog for free. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because I know that I, I can do it for money. So um, so I think that is just there's just some point in time where you have to figure out if you're in it for a business, if you're in it to make money, which is totally cool. Cause if you love dogs, you're gonna be good at your job. And if you're good at your job, you're gonna be in demand. Mm-hmm. And then as your demand increases, you can't make more time. You can't clone yourself. So as demand increases, then your rates should also increase. This means you're going to, you might lose a couple clients, which is okay because they will find someone else at your previous price point. There's nothing wrong with that. Everyone has a budget. It's understandable. But what you're going to be doing is you're going to be booking people who can afford to pay a your rates and as a solo dog walker you only need what eight ten clients a day um so that's really not in a city like New York that's not a lot of people at all so um so a lot of my clients they um they're really busy with work and their lives and things like that so they just want to know that Fido is taken care of sometimes they're home sometimes they're not like I don't I don't ask these questions. Why, is your, why isn't your kid walking your dog? Like, it doesn't matter to me because I'm being paid to do a job. They just want to make sure that it's handled. Mm. So it's bas- it's really just outsourcing the dog walking, but they need to outsource this to someone that they know is going to be trustworthy and reliable. And then the, the sticker price on that, it could vary depending on who you're working for. Mm. So I think it's just that, just taking... The emotion out of it, and then just realizing there are some people that can afford this to pay higher rates and they will pay it because they just, because time is money to them and they just don't want to worry about it.
0: Did you ever at some point consider bringing on another dog walker as you got more and more busy?
1: I, when I was starting to get busy in Seattle, I did find someone to help me out. I was so lucky. I went on to Craigslist. I I can't remember the last time I logged on to Craigslist. So this must have been in 2013. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, it might've been 2014, 15. Logged on to Craigslist. First person that responded to my message was, she was it. I didn't even talk to anyone else. She showed up. She was reliable. She's actually running her own pet care business in Seattle now. But um, so I... Super duper lucked out with having a helping hand. Uh, that was, it was just a partnership. So it wasn't, I wasn't like taking a cut of her money or anything like that. I would just refer some extra business to her. And then on the flip side, that helped her to start the business she never knew she wanted to get into. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> so I believe more in that model uh, as far as work, networking with other pet sitters in order to make our businesses more efficient. For each of us, uh, I I really hate doing paperwork, um, and I'm really impatient. So if I were to put out an ad for employees, then I know that's just a lot of work that I don't want to do as far as interviewing people goes, as far as setting up paperwork and legalese and trying to make sure that training, trying to make sure people are on time and covering sick days and things like that um, that I just don't want to do. Because for me, it's not efficient. It's not what I'm good at. So I just like to walk dogs and get (laughs) paid. Very simple, very linear, (laughs) extremely linear.
0: (laughs) Well, you you said you you like to have a a more minimalist approach to a lot of things that you do. And you were able to recognize that you did not want to go down that path. And I think so many of us get caught up in, well, the only way I can grow and the only way I can make more money is if I bring on 14 pet sitters beneath me and we, you know, we tackle the world, you know, you're pushing back on that saying, you don't have to just set your prices where you need them and, and go from there. And then you're not working like crazy and you're actually in continuing to enjoy your work. Now, if you want to go manage people by all means, go down that road and go forth and conquer. But you don't have to go that way to have a successful business.
1: Yeah. I, I also think that as a pet sitting agency, I can't charge $60 an hour and be like, oh yeah, and my employee's going to show up. It's not going to be mm-hmm. me. So I think, it would, I think if you run an agency, it's going to be really difficult to increase your rates as much as I do. <laughs> <laughs> because, you, because you're selling a consistent service, whereas whereas I'm selling me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like to think that it's, it's, uh, it's kind of analogous to being like a social media manager. I don't know what goes into managing social media, but sure, anyone can do it. You don't need any kind of certifications. You don't need any kind of experience. Anyone can do it at any price point, but some people will pay more for the person they right. want, and that's my business yeah. model.
0: Yeah, no, I, that's really, really telling, and and should speak volumes to people listening to this. Of people f- pay for things and services and people that they like and that they trust and that they enjoy having around. Like, that is something that people do, and if you have people, if you have clients willing to pay that, by all means, like that, those are the people you want to keep around. You don't want people that are putting over 15 cents or whatever for a charge like you don't need that kind of stress in your life.
1: Yeah, exactly. And actually, I think it's funny that some of my highest rates have come from me initially saying no. So again, when I started pet care, I I mean, I never made like a lot of money in my life. So I it's so for me to to think that someone would pay more than $25 an hour for pet care was kind of crazy. Mm. But um, what had happened was when my demand started to increase and I would get these inquiries that said, hey, can you walk Fido from 5 to 6 p.m. for an hour Monday through Friday? And I'm like, "Eh, I don't don't really want to do that. And then they're like, well, here's more money. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I will see Fido (laughs) at 5 p.m. Monday. So, so with any other business, you can have an idea of what you're willing to do, even if that's uh, time sensitive, weekend sensitive, whatever works for you. You can have an idea of what you're willing to do for the amount uh, for that amount of money, and there can be negotiations, especially for something like house sitting, where it is twenty four hours of responsibility, where. Maybe the job is a little more detailed than you thought it would. Mm -hmm. And you can absolutely say, I'm not willing to do it at this rate, but I would do it at this rate. And then if the client says cool, then you book it. If that's not okay with them, then you just you don't take the job and then they go looking for another sitter. And it's fine. It's just business. It's not personal.
0: You've been pet sitting since two thousand twelve. What kind of changes have you seen during that time, both in pet walkers and expectations from clients and just kind of a a high, high level view of of the whole industry?
1: Uh, I think, well, I started pet sitting through Rover. So I was kind of in the baby steps of the app. So some people that started before 2012 might say that the apps were a change. I think for me, it was the introduction of GPS tracking and timing and on-demand walking, which all came about around 2015-ish. Mm-hmm. So that really made me uncomfortable at first. When I, started, when I first moved to New York, I worked for WAG a lot because I didn't have any clients here. Um, so I would actually take a picture of the dog in the apartment before we went out walking because I wasn't comfortable enough to take a picture of Fido while we were out walking on the streets of New York. So that was one thing that I had to get used to just because that's the way the business is evolving. Mm-hmm. When Rover cards first came out, I, I still don't use them because I'm really resistant <laughs> <laughs> to them. I'll use them if I need to get paid, sure. but, <laughs> but I really try not to use them. Um, And I think that's one of, that's for me, is one of those switches between old school and new school, newer school that I've had to get used to. But the flip side is that clients love photos. They love a photo of Fido on a sunny day in front of the Empire State Building. And because of that image, at that one moment in time, they think Fido had the best time ever. Like. I mean, maybe Fido had the best time ever. Maybe not. I don't know. It's just a picture. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> it really adds to the client's experience who is paying your bills. Right, right. <laughs> so, so that's kind of one of those things that has uh, has evolved.
0: So thinking of some of the changes that have occurred, and especially in light of COVID-19, I'm, I'm curious about what your outlook for the rest of 2020 is and what you're hearing from clients as far as needs or demand for future services.
1: Uh, we have been in lockdown for about two and a half months. Let's see, April. May, Yeah, about two and a half months now. So people are starting to come out a bit. Business is starting to pick up a little bit. Um, I'm getting some weekend cats. So if People are just driving out to the Hamptons or something like that. And then also, since most of my clients are working from home, a couple of those people just want their dogs to get out and to get some fresh air. Um, they're not used to working with Fido underfoot <laughs> <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. So so suddenly, hour-long walks and adventure walks are really hot right mm-hmm. now. <laughs> but. Um, we but we're officially still in phase zero mm-hmm. here um, and I don't think phase one is going to look much different because I think that's only pick up from retail shops pretty much but um yeah i I don't know, I'm just kind of taking things as they go. I'm meeting new clients, which is great because I. Never would have made that time before because I was so busy serving my existing existing clients, which I love. But I also love meeting new clients, um, and I don't know if my I don't know if those people, if my daily clients, I don't know how long they're going to be working from home. I don't know when they're going to come back to the city. I don't know if they're going to come back to the city. Mm-hmm. I think at least one of my clients has been laid off. So, um so I think it's going to be a long time before things get back to to December, to Christmas 2019 levels. And I almost feel like I it's it's 2016 I just moved to New York and I have no clients. I almost feel like it kind of that, that, um, that dynamic, Mm -hmm. um, which is fine. I mean, I've done it before, I'll probably do it again.
0: Have you been communicating with clients as far as your availability and what their, their plans are? Are they openly sharing kind of what they hope to be doing in the future? Or have you been pushing some conversations?
1: It's a little bit of a mix. I am more passive when it comes to all of that stuff. So usually, I haven't been one to check in with my clients, uh in the past just to for for example just to say some some pet care providers they're like oh we have memorial day availability book us now i'm not that kind of person i just wait for them to come Mm -hmm. to me so um so some of my clients have been checking in and just saying like hey how are you doing so we have little conversations like that um i am hesitant to check in i should probably be better about it but um, just because we're in New York I don't know who's been affected I don't know how they've been affected and I that's a conversation that I kind of don't want to have so um, so I'm just waiting for people to get in touch with me whenever they need services Um, and whenever they're back in the city whenever they're ready to resume services that that's just pretty much how it's always been for my business in general so so that's just how I'm going to
0: leave it. Yeah, I know it's a it's a weird and uncomfortable position to be in of of being of not wanting to say how are you doing and then then respond with some terrible awful news and then be left there going uh what do I do with this? Like I just want to know if I want to if you if you need me to walk your dog. Um so that's that's really understand- yeah. <laughs> i right? It's like I didn't really <laughs> It
1: has it's been it's been a little bit of a shift because I'm so business-minded. Pretty much most of my conversations are very transactional. Pre-COVID, I would check in with my clients on Monday and be like, hey, is it the usual schedule? I wouldn't be like, how was your weekend? Did you go party? Did you see right. your mom? Things like that. Yeah. No, it was just, it was, <laughs> does Fido need a walk? How many walks does Fido need this right. week? So, um so the flip side is that when my clients have been checking in, it's been cute. They're like, oh, here's the daily dog on the Jersey Shore living his best life. Oh. So that's been, you know, part of my my inner monologue has been like, this is a little weird. But it's also nice to know that they care. Um, and most of my daily clients offered to keep me on payroll. But, um, but I refused because I I like to work for my money. Mm-hmm. So, so that was also touching that they, were, they had a vested interest in me and they wanted to make sure that I was okay and they wanted to make sure that I would be able to survive this thing you know, financially.
0: Hmm. Yeah. it's been really, That's really great to hear that they've been concerned and they have been reaching out to you and you've been able to, to continue to stay in touch with several of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's been nice.
0: When you're not taking care of pets, how do you spend your time?
1: Uh, pre COVID, I was just working a lot. Um, I mean, we're in New York. So if there were some shows, then that would be, I would go see some shows or just walking around the city is always entertaining, just exploring new neighborhoods. If I had the time, then I would pick up, uh, an on-demand dog walk through WAG just to, so I could walk that dog around a new neighborhood and just explore there and get, paid twelve dollars to do it so um those are things that i liked uh and then after covid i've just been kind of trying to focus more on things that don't involve running around the city (laughs) um so i learned how to use netflix i haven't owned a tv in like 20 years so that was interesting (laughs) just catching up on some trash tv uh and I've been trying to do some different projects. I I want to try to learn to groom dogs. I sound so ADD right now, and I am. But <laughs> but I uh, was like going through YouTube, like, oh, how do I groom this dog? And then now when I see my clients are getting such good care right now, <laughs> I'm like, can I can I brush your dog? Can I give her a little haircut? Can I put a bow in her hair? Like, do you mind? Because I don't have anything better to do right now. <laughs> but. Um, Yeah. And then, and then I finally have been trying to just, I am running out of excuses. So I finally had to um, look into how to set up a website. I, I've had this website sitting there for a year and GoDaddy was like, your domain's about to expire. You should do something about this. I'm like, Oh, fine. (laughs) Like, I guess I'll just try to figure out how to make a website, because these are marketable skills. I should do it.
0: <laughs>
1: so <laughs> those are things I do in between in between trash TV binging sessions. Nice.
0: And I know one of the things that you've been working on for some time now has been uh, rescue rope leads. So could you tell us about that and how it came about?
1: Uh, Yeah. So basically, losing a dog is pretty much a nightmare scenario. I think for me for any other dog walkers that walk their that walk strange dogs on a leash. Right. Cause um I like to I love doing on-demand dog walking. I love meeting new dogs. These dogs don't always love me because I'm a stranger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um also in New York a couple years ago there were a few months where WAG had some high-profile cases about dogs getting lost on WAG walks. And that was just really upsetting to the community because I know that these kids are just trying to do the best they can do. And WAG has, they do have a screening system, which is better than nothing. They make you do a harness test. They make you answer some questions. I mean, it's not a lot. It's not training training, but it's better than nothing. Um, But still, there's so much about Dog walking that people might not understand. So, I was trying to think about a way to to kind of foolproof this system of walking a dog that maybe doesn't want to walk with you or walking any dog, because dogs can be temperamental. Sometimes there'll be a semi that comes by and it scares them or something like that. So, uh, the rescue rope lead is basically a long line of rope leash, and then it has two clips on the end so instead of having a clip on one end and a handle on the other it has a clip on one end and then a clip on the other end so what i might do with this is i might take one clip i can clip it to the dog's collar and then take the second clip and clip it to the dog's harness Mm. so then when we're out walking if fido gets spooked and slips his collar he's still attached to me at his harness so it's just a backup way to, um, it's just a little bit of an extra secure way to walk a dog, but it's only one piece of equipment. So what I've noticed is that some of the dog walkers in the city, they will have an extra slip lead connected to the dog's own equipment. Or maybe they'll have a carabiner that connects all of that. Um, but it looks very clunky. So I'm very tactile. I- I have always used my own leashes even before I started making them (laughs) just because I'm familiar with them. I know what they feel like. I know they work. Mm. Um, and sometimes clients can have leashes that they're okay, but I want, I really want to be able to perform at my best when I'm out walking a dog. So if I take the leash out of the equation, then that's one less thing to worry about. Um, you know, I don't want to have three different leashes with three different coop bag holders and keychain
0: holders on right. there. <laughs> yeah. Well so. yeah, no, it's a great way to, you know, one of the I think something's really important of is using your own equipment. And because you get used to it, you know that's being maintained, you know the status of it, you know how it feels, you know how it works. You're not having to learn 30 new styles of clips and harnesses and all sorts of stuff in between. Like if you just have the same standard equipment, it cuts a lot of of fuss and frustration out of it. And this is really, you know, born out of your idea and, and, and your love for uh, making things that work for you. So, how can people go check these out? What's the what's the website?
1: So, Rescue Rope Leads. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram, and then the website is www.rescueropeleads.com. And uh, it's just a pretty basic website, but there is a shop on there. Um, just because I made the website myself Uh (laughs) over a period of 48 hours i'm just i'm just kidding it probably was 48 hours but anyway um but so i have some leashes listed in the shop i don't have all the colors listed so if someone has something in mind then um then they can feel free to email me and see what other colors i have in stock um yeah and if your listeners Um, Your listeners can use promo code ICONFESS for a discount on a leash.
0: Yeah, and I I really encourage people to go check that out uh, because Megan and I use them on our dog walks and when we have clients come over and even for our own dog. And it's they're they're a great feel. Like they're just, I know you said you're very tactile. Like they are just very nice to hold. That's one of the things that we love about them. And then almost infinitely flexible. And you can do just about any sort of, connecting point or harness or, or, or makeshift whatever with them and because they're they're really long and they're just i, I megan and i absolutely love ours they're just really really great
1: thank you yeah and i just wanted to make something like i said to help out dog walkers i mean it's not for sure not a profitable but profitable business at this point but i just wanted to make uh, a product that was affordable and that would look good in pictures you don't have <laughs> a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of different leashes and things hanging off the dog
0: they are instantly instagrammable and they just look so cool so yeah i i we rave about them but yeah uh, listeners go check them out uh, rescue rope com, and and see and look at them and they come in different thicknesses and different sizes and and infinitely customizable too so that's really cool.
1: Yeah, and I I'm always trying to think of new things to do. I just got in rose gold hardware which I I I really spent so much time looking for rose gold hardware and an embarrassing <laughs> an embarrassing amount of time looking for rose gold hardware on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so that's available now for all of your cutie little dog leaves Yeah, it's
0: totally coordinated from head to toe. So <laughs> Now I, as you've talked about adding things, you know, you've know you looked into grooming and you're, 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 you've got this rescue rope leads going on. Something else that you talk about frequently has been your exit plan and kind of what the end goal is for you. So do you plan on retiring, doing dog walking and, and house sitting?
1: Uh, no, I actually had been thinking about formulating an exit plan for at least the last year, maybe two um because i realized that uh i love pet sitting but i don't want my life to be defined by taking care of other people's pets mm. so i've been thinking about uh how to kind of gradually exit or in the case of pandemic not gradually <laughs> exit <laughs> um the business <laughs> But I also think because I have been preparing for something like this, then it made the pandemic a little bit more, not a little bit, a lot more easy for me because I knew that I didn't have to worry about money in the short term um, and that I could make things work. And then that's why I just started throwing my time and energy into other things that I had just been putting off Mm -hmm. for now. So I think that I mean, I'm never gonna make a lot, a lot of money. I started pretty much making money and having a positive net worth around age 40. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I don't I don't want to work till I'm like 65. So I knew that I had to make these numbers work for me in the short term. I had to figure out my cost of living and then I had to figure out how much money that I need to Make that work, how much I need to put into savings, and I think that for me, uh, I will probably walk dogs and pet sit for as long as I can. I just won't do it full time. Um, maybe I will do it in a different area, maybe I'll travel more and do it, and then just walk dogs here and there for for less money, but just still to have some money coming mm-hmm. in. I think that is probably what retirement would look for, um, in the near future, which is just basically stepping back from the business a little bit more and getting out of the rat race a little bit more. Um, and you know, I also never know when my body's going to say, Hey, um, I don't want you to walk uh, 30,000 miles, 30,000 steps a day anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Like you're just not doing that. If that happens, I don't have a say in Mm. that, then I just have to stop. Mm. So so I'm just starting to think of ways that I can still support myself without working this volume. I think that's what retirement means hmm. to me.
0: And that speaks to the importance of, of having a plan. Uh, you know, Earlier in our conversation, we mentioned how many pet sitters kind of get caught up in this and that affects how they charge initially. And then they get in and it's, they're crazy busy a lot or they've got other things going on and they just... Don't really have time or think about 10, 15, 20 years down the road and exactly what that looks like and the importance of just a little bit of planning and how much that can impact you down the road.
1: It really does. And especially this whole pandemic has really highlighted a lot of those things. And I don't, I only know what it's like to run my business. I don't let, know what it's like to have a brick and mortar store or anything like that. So, so just Just in terms of thinking about finances and how, if something happens like just a pandemic that no one could have imagined, but maybe it's not a pandemic, maybe it's, God forbid, like an injury or something like that that takes you out of the equation, then you have to figure out how you're going to make things work. And there's still things that you can do if you've been in the pet sitting business. For example, I was looking for something that wasn't as time. In location specific, I mean, it's just too much commitment, right? To to be there at noon to walk your dog—that's a lot of commitment. (laughs) But um, so there are other things that you can do. Maybe you make tuxedo bandanas for dogs. Maybe you poop scoop. It's a little bit more flexible. That's part of the reason why I've always been attracted to the idea. Of grooming, I'm like I can just peace out for two weeks and then just come groom some dogs when I get back. I don't know if that's going to happen because I know, especially now that like grooming is so hard. I mean, (laughs) it's nice. It like it's really interesting to me right now, but I don't. I don't think I'll ever be a professional groomer. But um, but the idea of that business model, just being able to work when you want, um, and just have it to be more elective. There are a lot of different things you can do in terms of working in the pet industry where people will still spend money, but you don't necessarily need to be literally pounding the pavement to do it.
0: Right. Right. And being smart about that. And as you've mentioned, like planning and looking at shifts and pivots that you can make along the way so that you can do it part time or or, or offer new and interesting services uh, continually.
1: Yeah. And I've always been, a hustler. I have been fun employed many times in my Mm -hmm. life and I have not had money many times in my Mm. life. So I, I totally understand it. But also this pandemic is just really, really highlighting how just maybe your business model wasn't working for you before. And I try to get people to, to think about how much money you need to make, how much work you need to do in order to get there. Because if you don't have those goals, then you don't know what to charge. So for example, if I, I love the idea of six figures, I don't make six figures, but I love the idea Mm. of it. So I know that six figures is $50 an hour, 40 hours a week. I don't want to work 40 hours (laughs) a week. This means I have to charge. This means I have to charge more. So, so if I aim to make sixty dollars an hour, and I set up my day, so I'm trying to get to that sixty dollars an hour. That's going to try to help me stay on track. That's going to help me say, I don't want to take that walk across town. A walk. <laughs> I don't want to take that walk across town for twelve dollars because it's going to take me ninety minutes there and back. It's just not worth my right. time. So, if I have a goal goals set then i kind of know where i'm working toward and if i don't make it that's okay but i'm still in a better position than i was if i didn't know what i was trying to do
0: it just those those goals they can be so as simple and straightforward as you want or as complex but having those goals in place helps you plan and that's really what that's all about is ha- having a plan and a way to move forward so you don't look up and go oh no like what have i been doing well, you know i What what am I going to do in five years? Like just starting and setting little goalposts along the way, so you know how to operate your business, how you know how to structure, how you know how to price. All that's tied up into having some sort of a plan.
1: Yes, exactly. And then once you start, once that plan starts working, then you refine your plans. You start out with lower rates and a larger business area. Once you get clients, then you decrease that business area to make it more efficient, and you raise your rates. And this is all, like you said, a very gradual, a gradual process. It's not going to happen overnight, but the best time to start is just to start now, even if that means just sitting down and looking at your expenses and figuring out, okay, how much money do I need to make to support my lifestyle and how am I going to get there? Maybe that is pet dog walking. Maybe it's not. Maybe you need to supplement it with some other kind of side gig you Have to figure out what that is.
0: Well, in closing, I was wondering what you wish more people knew about the life of a pet sitter.
1: I think pet sitting is great because it's very inclusive because there are so many different things you can do with it. You can do it at any age. I think 16-year-olds are fully capable of pet sitting. Some people will disagree with me. That's okay. You can do it when you're 70, if you're able-bodied. You can do it if you're you can do it if you're disabled, you can do it if you have chronic illnesses, you can do it if you're a stay-at-home mom, you can do it if you're a college kid. There's so it's so inclusive because there's so many different things that you can do within pet sitting mm. and you just have to figure out what works for you and your schedule so that you know what kind of service that you're willing to offer so that is clear for both you and your client in order to set up a successful business.
0: Well, Jen Thank you so much for coming on today. We really appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing your, your experiences and, and all the wonderful advice from uh, setting prices to the importance of planning and your your outlook for the road ahead. I know people are going to have more questions about travel house sitting and uh, getting started. So how can people get in touch with you and follow along with everything that you've got going on?
1: Uh, yeah, I um, run a Facebook group called the Pet Care Hustle. You can look for that. It's pretty informal because like I said, I I just think pet sitting should be really inclusive. Um, It's a decent amount of memes because I have a short attention span. I don't have, (laughs) I'm not about writing blogs. (laughs) If someone has a question, I'll try to, you know, have discussions. But we also talk about the finances and the numbers between pet sitting or, or other things you can do around pets to make money or just, I'm always interested in learning what other people are doing. There are so many things that just blow my mind as far as things that people are paying for. And, and the only way that you're going to learn about them is just by kind of having conversations, being open-minded. So, so that's what that group is
0: about. Very cool. Well, Jen, again, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, we'll, we'll be in touch and hope to have you on again soon.
1: Okay. Sounds great. Thank you.
0: Two things really stuck out to me in my conversation with Jen. The first one was how important it is to plan, plan for price increases, planning for the end game. Where is this all leading for you and your business? And I know Megan and I have a lot of work to do on that front as well. So don't feel bad if you don't have one in place yet, but sitting down and taking a few moments just to plan out the next five years, 10 years, what do you want to be doing then? And then how do you get there is so powerful because it includes everything on how your business operates. And then the second big takeaway for me was just how wonderful pet sitting is because of how inclusive and diverse it is, not just for the animals that we get to take care of, but also the services that we have out there and the people we get to interact with every single day. People from all walks of life across such a diverse field of backgrounds and races and ethnicities It really does make the pet sitting community such a wonderful place to be, such a powerful thing in society. And it really gives us a lot of opportunity to connect with other people and be part of changes that we want to see take place. We do want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Time to Pet. If you have any sort of feedback or just want to connect with us, check out our website, petsitterconfessional.com. We're on basically every social media platform at Pet Sutter Confessional, and uh, we can't wait to talk to you again soon. (laughs)